Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 4. We're going to take a look at a handful of verses and kind of use this as a runway to take off into some things that I believe the Lord has packaged up in my heart tonight for you. Um, And I believe wholeheartedly that God desires tonight to fill us with his spirit in order to give us more boldness to live faithfully for him in the days that you and I are experiencing right now. Because without the infilling of the Holy Ghost, you and I don't have a shot. We don't have a shot without God's spirit on the inside of us. But praise God, as Paul tells us in Romans, that the Holy Ghost has been shed abroad in our hearts, that it is a down payment, that it is a deposit, that it is a pledge of things that are to come. Well, I don't know, but yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, As you are opening to Acts chapter 4, we will get there in just a moment. I want to take just a second and honor your pastor's You see, I always look forward to coming and being with you guys uh, specifically. This is, we were just recounting um, a couple of minutes before the gathering. Uh, This has been a long time in the making. It was 2015, I believe. I'm looking for Pastor Romeo. 2015. So this is many years, and I am grateful to the Lord um, for your pastors and for this church family here and in LaGrange for the way that over the years you have embraced me and my family and our team. Uh, And we are thankful to be able to see in you the things that the Lord has been building year over year over year. Um, A people jealous for Jesus. A people jealous for the glory of God. And a people who bear witness and give evidence by the power of the Spirit. Um, So we are grateful to be here, and I am thankful for your pastors, Pastor Mark and Michelle. Uh, I love you guys. Um, Anna and the kids send their greetings. Uh, I I get somewhat chastised every time I come without Anna and the kids. I understand they are the better portion of what what is our... I get that. Uh, I understand. It happens. Once you start having children, you realize nobody really comes to see you anymore. Where, Where are the kids at? Um, But so we're grateful to be here. Thank you. Um, We have several members of our team, Stephen and Frankie and Omar. Uh, Thank you for for riding with me and and coming. I honor you guys. I would lay my life down for these guys. Acts chapter 4, as we are going to look at a couple of verses here, um, we will read the verses to begin and then, like I said, use these to jump into Uh, Several places, if you're taking notes, I just apologize to you in advance. Uh, I tend to get a little excited. Um, I know that about myself. I have pep talks in the room beforehand. Just just calm it down. Just keep it together. But but it's not an act. I promise you, uh, something happens. Jeremiah said that even if I wanted to deny him, I would not actually be able to because there's a word that he has put in my bones. And from the inside, it's gotten into me. And every time I think about him or every time I speak about him, what he's deposited on the inside of me, it just takes root and it takes fire. And it's like fire shut up in my bones. All right, uh, Acts chapter 4. We are reading here in Acts 4 about Peter and John. They have just recently gone to jail for a healing in chapter 3 that is broken out in the streets. Um, Peter and John are a part of the 12 who were with Jesus. And after Jesus was crucified and then was raised from the dead, the 12, the apostles, the disciples, those that walked with him in close proximity, that those three days while Jesus laid in the grave, things looked a little sketchy. They didn't really know where the story was going. They had left everything in order to follow this man. And they had put their faith, their hope, they believed. And they believed to the degree that they left all things in order to follow him and then he died and then he died and things didn't look so good for a couple of days but you see we have the whole story they were living the story and he died and they were hiding and they were huddled up and then he walked through a wall and he was alive again 
And I'm sure that they were like, hey, man, you, you had us worried for a couple of days. But we're glad you're back. And he was back. And they said, you have raised from the dead. You see, because they knew that two things would mark the end of the age. They understood, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, that prophets prophesied and that God spoke in the lives of men to generations that had gone before them and that for hundreds of years that prophets had given declarations and that they had caused consideration towards days that would be considered the great day of the Lord, the consummation of the age, the last days, the times when time itself would be wrapped up and things would come to the crossing over into eternity. And they understood that two things would mark the end of the age. They knew that God would raise the dead. And they knew that God would pour out his spirit. That he would pour it out upon all flesh. They knew that the dead in Christ would raise. And that he would pour out his spirit. Joel prophesied. Peter bore witness when he stood up on the day of Pentecost. And he says, this is not what you think. These men are not simply drunk, but they're filled. They were looking forward to the day when God would come and would rule in their midst forever, like Revelation 21, 3 and 4 says, when God would descend from a heavenly place and that he would physically step into the experience of the earth and that he would rule in the midst of a family that bears his image forever because God is longing for a family God is fashioning a people for himself. All the way back in Genesis 2, 18, we find an evaluation where God looks into the life of Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be alone, but that immediate evaluation carries eternal implications because it is not good for the son of man to be alone. I will make a bride for him. I will form a people for him. I will fashion a family for him, a harvesting over the generations, a redeemed people from every tribe, nation, and tongue, a new creature, new creation. For if any man be in Christ, he is no longer what he used to be, but he is now a new creation. And here we have in Acts 3, Peter and John are going to the temple at the time of prayer, and there's a lame man. And he's sitting at the gate beautiful and he's begging for money. And Peter and John say, silver and gold have we none. They understand that there is brokenness in the world. They understand that things are fractured, that things are dying, that things are not right. The condition of the world is looking for help. But Peter and John also recognize that they're not trying to satisfy the world's desires with worldly solutions. They're not trying to give the world exactly what it's asking for. You see, silver and gold have we none. We know that's what you think you want, but let me tell you what you actually need. Silver and gold have I none. That's the worldly desire, but it's not what's going to satisfy the brokenness in the world. But they say such as we do have. You see, when we can't declare such as we do have, we start handing out silver and gold. But such as we do have, we give unto you. And this man rises and he's healed miraculously, supernaturally, and the crowd erupts and the streets go wild. But not everybody is as excited as you would think they would be. Because you have to understand, two men filled with the Holy Ghost, two men bearing witness to the power of the age to come, two men that are giving glory to the works that God is doing in their life, does not always create cheerleaders, does not always erupt with the celebration it does not always rally people alongside of you that are excited about the things that God is doing in your life. And Peter and John end up going to jail because of this man that gets healed. And Peter and John end up in jail and they end up standing before leaders. And the leaders that look at them, they say, there's nothing else that we can say about you guys. You don't have the right education. You don't have the right upbringing. You don't have the right pedigree. You don't have the applause and the accolades. You don't have the social influence. But there's one thing that we just cannot deny about you. You've been with him. You've actually been with him. And it's undeniable. It's undeniable that you've been with him. You see, you can have all the other stuff. 
and not necessarily have it be an undeniable indictment, if you would, against you that you've been with him. I can see him in your face. He glows in your eyes. You can't fake what's in your face. Countenance is something that only comes for the Lord. Stature is something that only comes by the Spirit. You can't buy it. You can't subscribe to it. You can't generate enough followers or likes for it. It has to be something that's born in you from above. And what you are beheld comes from a place of beholding. And unless you are looking at him, you will never actually look like him. And they say it is undeniable that you have been with him. You've been with him. And they get released. And the first place they run to Now hear me, these are guys filled with the Holy Ghost. God is with them in an incredible way and they're ending up in jail for what God is doing in their life. They end up in jail because of what God is doing in their life. They are filled with the Spirit and they are not hiding from the evidence that God has actually done something in them and now wants to share it with the rest of the world. And when they are released from jail, the first place they run to is their church family. They run to their church family. And at the end of Acts chapter 4, these are the verses that we pick up. That's the context for what it is that we are about to read into. Let's start with verse 29. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They were filled with the Spirit in the midst of adversity. There was hostile circumstances against them as a people. It was a direct assault against them as a community, as a family in the earth, bearing the image of Jesus and giving evidence to what it was that Jesus was doing in the earth. There was an assault. There was accusations. There was threats. He says, listen to their threats. Hear the way that they are coming against us. But this is what we are asking you for. We're not asking you to put us on the witness protection program. We're not asking you to hide us in our homes until things are safe again. We're not asking you to bury us beneath the sand so that we can just have our own little clique and involve ourselves in our own little community and do our own thing while the time goes by. This is what we need. Fill us with your spirit. Give us more boldness so that we can go back out into the midst of the darkness, into the brokenness, into the chaos, into the hostility. To do what? To preach your word. To preach your word. Not to preach my political opinion. Not to preach my conspiracy theories. Not to preach my American entitlements. Not to preach my newfound definition of revival, which is just the restoration of my luxuries and comforts. Give us more boldness so that we can preach your word. Fill us with your spirit so that we can keep bearing witness. Do something in us to where we cross over the threshold of fear so that we can be faithful to you in the days that you give us. Because I believe that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Praise God. Those of you that know, you know that's not all the the verse. Having loved not their own lives even when confronted with death. We are living in some wild days. We are living in some chaotic moments. This is a season of unprecedented adversity and hostility that is reaping upon a global people that has been unlike any other time that I personally have experienced in my life. But these are the days when God thought about your life and planted you in this generation to be here. When God was thinking of the problems, when God was thinking of the brokenness, when God was thinking of the plagues and the political corruption and the economic crisis, and he was thinking about all of the rioting and all of the dividing and all of the hatred towards people groups, he thought about you as a solution. He thought about your life 
as an answer. This is our generation. These are our days. And this is our moment to rise and shine. Paul says that it's in the dark night sky in Philippians 2 where you and I are actually hung in place to shine like bright stars. Where in the midst of darkness, in the midst of corruption, in the midst of brokenness, you don't need fire on your life to stand in light, comfortable places. You need fire on your life when times get tough. You need fire on your life when things are hard. You need fire on your life when there's great darkness. And Paul says it's in these moments where our lives are like bright stars hung in a dark night sky. This is the hour to rise and shine. This is the moment where we become a people that are set apart, a city on a hill, a beacon of hope. These are the days that God has considered our lives and strategically assigned us to the generation that we are in. These are not times to hide. These are not days to bury our head in the sand. These are not the moments where we need to be a part of the witness protection program and think that we can just push the pause button and then come out sometime later when everything gets normalized again. Whether you know it or not, God is not redefining his idea of revival to simply just the restoring of the American comfort. (laughs) And these are guys that are giving evidence. These are guys that are bearing witness. We are living in days where there needs to be a unified effort, a unified front for the church as a local and global family to have one message, to bear one anthem, to lift up one name. Revelation says that in the time of the end of the age that the spirit and the bride will say what? come it will be one message it won't be the spirit is saying this and the bride is saying this there will be a unified voice there will be a unified cry there will be a great partnering with the spirit who is working across every generation to perfect a people a church a bride an eternal companion for the glory of the king of kings and the lord of lords and there is a perfect work to bring a people where there is no spot wrinkle or blemish to a point where our cry has now become the cry of the Spirit and where there is a unified effort in the church to declare one thing, come Lord Jesus, of a people, not of a person. You see, because we are living in between the tension of two comings. We're living in between the tension of two comings. We don't hear much about the coming of the Lord anymore. But I assure you the king is coming. I assure you Jesus said I will return. He said it will be as in the days of Noah when the son of man makes his entry. He said when my brothers Israel as a people honor me the way that I want to be honored and they begin to cry out blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4 the writer tells us that there is coming a moment where the trumpet will sound the lightning will flash, the clouds will part and the son of man in all of his glory He will return. But we're living in between the tension of the first coming and the second coming. And prior to the first coming, there was a man who became visible in the wilderness. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1 verse 4 that John the Baptist had an appearing out in the wilderness. He was always visible to God, but God made him visible to a region. There was something that was on John's life that God wanted the rest of the world to see. There was a cry that God put in John's heart that he needed the rest of the region to hear. And John didn't raise up and try to turn on his own light. God always saw him, but he caused everyone else to see him. And John erupted out in the wilderness, and he began to champion a phrase that no one had ever heard. He began to declare, behold the lamb. Behold the lamb, for the bridegroom has come. 
John the Baptist was one man. He was a person who carried a unique revelation unlike any other up until his time or even throughout his generation. John the Baptist was one man. He was one messenger prior to the coming of Jesus. And John declared, behold the lamb, not just as an immediate way to shift your attention, but as a way of life. Because for you and I, as we have seen him and come to believe in him, we do not only behold the lamb in a momentary sense, but beholding the lamb is a way of life. But just as it was in John's generation, he was one man who had one message, but he was only a person. But in the days that we are living in, God is not raising up individual people. He's not interested in only one person, but God is raising up a people. He's raising up a family. He's raising up a company, a community, a remnant. That just as it was in the days of John, so it shall be in the last days. Just as it was, John declared, behold the Lamb. So it will be with end time messengers. So it will be with an end time community. So it will be with the bride that will cry alongside the Spirit in perfect unity. Come Lord Jesus. Because the end of the age is about the revealing of Jesus. And it's about a king that's coming back for his people. It's about a king that's coming to rule in the midst of his people forever. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is no longer our final enemy. For Jesus has swallowed up the sting of death, the penalty of death, the wages of sin. And he is now the first fruits of many that are to come. He is glorified forever on the other side of death, alive from the dead. And he has now made a way for you and I to live forever in a place of eternal glorification alongside of him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, do you not understand in 1 Corinthians 5, there's coming a day when you will judge nations alongside of Jesus. He says, don't you understand there's coming a day when you will judge angels alongside of the Son of Man. You see, Jesus is returning, but not just in an abstract sense. He's coming back for something very specific. He's coming back for a family. He's coming to rule in the midst of a people that love him and love one another. If we are despised, so to speak, by the idea of family, what do you think you will do for all of eternity when the Son of Man returns and the King comes to take his place in the midst of a family that he longs to live with in the place of eternity? If we do not find ourselves inclined to the idea of family now, then what is our idea of what we we will all of a sudden like when we cross over to the other side of our final breath. And he's coming back for a family. But not just any family. He's coming back for a family that bear his image. He's coming back for a family that are faithful witnesses in the earth. He's coming back for people that have shed from their own hearts and their own lives the love of their own life. As Revelation 12, 11 says, yes, we believe that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. But also our love for him is uprooting from within us the love of ourselves because a self-preservation people will never be the proper catalyst for revival in our nation or any nation throughout the earth. There's a whole lot of crazy stuff going on right now. And there's a whole lot of things that people are being motivated to live for in our generation. And with all of the craziness and all of the hostility, I encourage you that if there was ever a day in your life with all of the assurance that you could muster up on your part, these are days to walk deeply and intimately with the Lord. These are not days to be playing games. These are not games to, to try to keep up the image, to try to perfect the facade, to try to get the filter right, to try to get all of the angles and things. These are days to walk deeply and intimately with the Lord because if we are not walking deeply and intimately with Jesus, I promise you that you are going to be swallowed up by the whirlwind of chaos that has come upon our nation because there's a lot of crazy stuff going on right now.
And if ever we need to realize that we are planted in our nation as a family, we are planted in our nation as a community, we are planted in our nation as believers, we are planted in our nation as Christians, we are Christians who live in America. We are believers that live in America. Hear me, that sounds exciting. We are believers that live in America. We are Christians that live in America, which means because the way that you set the sentence up is very important. We are Christians that live in America, and we are not simply just American Christians. Because depending on how you order the words also depends on the things that you're going to fight for in a primary or in a fundamental way. And we are believers that live in America. We are a heavenly colony. We are ambassadors. We are here. We are here as a heavenly embassy bearing witness to the governmental jurisdiction of a king. A king. Jesus isn't fighting to be the leading figure of a political party. Jesus isn't fighting to be the leading activist of a social justice cause. Jesus is a king, and not just a king, but he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of all creation. And it's important that you understand that we are believers that live in America. And as a heavenly embassy, you understand what an embassy is? An embassy is a smaller planting that represents a larger reality. An embassy is a smaller planting that lives in a foreign territory, but that gives evidence to the reality of which it was released. We have a U.S. embassy in Africa. We have a U.S. embassy in Russia. There's a U.S. embassy in China. And here in America, it's time for a heavenly embassy to get planted in the earth to bear witness to the reality that this is not our home. That this is not all that there is. Because if we don't, and we simply see ourselves as American Christians, then we'll fight to be American before we fight to be believers. <laughs> and if we're not careful, then we become a puppet in the hand of political parties. Who use us and abuse us because we're just another demographic in our nation. We're just another sect of people that they understand they need to secure our vote. And so we'll begin to partner and we'll begin to compromise thinking that Jesus is trying to establish his kingdom through political means or military might. When he is interested in neither of the two. In his first coming, he secured everything that God ever said. But everything that God said has not yet been fully realized. In his second coming, he will come to judge all of the structures of this world. Every ruling power and principality will be torn down. Every wicked entity, every corrupt political structure the rulers of the nations, all of the kings and the governing authorities of the earth. When the king actually returns to take his place, he will demolish, he will deconstruct, he will dismantle. For all authority has been given unto the Son of Man in order to judge all of the rulers of the age. Which means now, we bear our influence, not politically. We bear our authority not through military might, but through the bearing of witness and the providing of evidence that we are a people that have been born again. We are a people that have been filled with God's spirit. We are a new version of humanity. We are not the same type of creature or creation like everyone else that we see walking around. Why? Because God has taken up residency on the inside and he has begun the work of forever right now. By him filling us with his spirit, he is preparing us to live with him forever. And it's important that you and I understand that we are not American first. <laughs> it's okay. Because if we get the words rearranged, we'll fight for American entitlements. We'll fight for all of our fundamental American beliefs and comforts and luxuries and 
will begin to enter into all of the lower level earthly warfare, chaos, and corruption of the systems that have been constructed by powers and principalities. You do understand there is no innocent middle ground. It is one or the other. You are either yielding to God's spirit that is alive on the inside of you or you are yielding and being manipulatively wielded by the spirit of the power of the air. And Paul says in Ephesians 2 that through the blood of Jesus we have been set free. No longer governed by the spirit of the power of the air or the rulers of the age like the rest. We are a new creation. We are a new kind of humanity. God is on the inside issuing his judgments and renewing us. For though the outer man perish, the inner man is being renewed day by day by day. And so it's important that we live day by day by day as believers that are planted in the streets of America and not simply Americans that are just doing their best to try and be Christians. And in all honesty, some of us just need to be delivered from our Americanism so that we can actually love Jesus the way that he deserves because Jesus is not American. Newsflash. Jesus is not Republican. We're just going to push some buttons. <laughs> It sounds really funny, but some of us are incredibly bothered because we've not yet been fully through the love of God that lives on the inside of us and the Holy Ghost being shed abroad in our hearts. We have not yet been found free enough from the entanglement to Americanism to actually live as a faithful people that bear witness that our lives are governed by a king and not just the wielding of social media or mainstream media or political corruption, but our lives have been turned over to a king, a king that rules, a king that reigns, a king that governs, a king that my affection and my allegiance has been turned over to, and my life is no longer my own, right? This is the the initial invitation that we all answered if any man would come after me let him first which means you forfeited your rights which means we forfeited our rights hear me I understand that this is problematic but the gospel is problematic to American culture God's dream is problematic to the American dream you do understand that the two are not compatible. They are actually incompatible. And I am longing for the day when the church will put down America's dream and they will pick up God's dream. Because all of the political corruption, all of the economic crisis, all of the Wall Street agenda, all of the WHO organization, all of the medical influence and advice, all of the corruption and the manipulation of the media, all of the puppeteering of different parties and people groups, all of the scandalizing of categories and hostility between certain peoples trying to incite hatred and violence between people groups in any way possible. I am tired of the world telling us that we have to hate each other and kill each other. There's a people, there's a people that have been filled with God's spirit that are beginning to become visible in the earth. You see, because just as it was in the days of John the Baptist, he was hidden until his time of appearing. God knew exactly where he was. I want to tell you, God knows exactly where you are, and he's been preparing you. He's been preparing you individually and preparing you corporately for such a time as this. As cliche as that might have become to you, as Christianese as that might sound to you, the powerful truth, the reality of it is very real. God has prepared you for such a time as this. And there are a people in the earth that are becoming visible. There are people that are casting off all of the restraint of the earthly entanglements. There are people that are being captured and possessed by a vision of the age to come. There are people that are having their hearts branded with the reality of a person, a man who's alive from the dead, where we understand you can't even manipulate me with the confrontation of death. Because death is no longer something that destroys me. 
Death is now a tool in the hand of God that now transforms me. Because when I pass through the tool of death, I will be glorified forever. Because Paul says that what is now mortal will in a moment become immortal. That what is now perishable will in a moment become imperishable. And so you can't even scare me with the thought of death. Because like Paul said, if you let me live, I win. But if you kill me, I win. Because to be present in the body is more time to do faithful ministry and to labor for you. But to be out of this body means to be present with the Lord. And there's a people that are rising up in the earth that are tired of all of the nonsense that are tired of all of the games, that are no longer willing to let our culture define us as to what we should be or how we should behave. God has clearly revealed to us in his word who we are and what we are. And the terms have been set. And a faithful family is emerging in the earth. And they have one cry. They have one message. There is one person that they are exalting. And it's Jesus. I'm telling you, the days of the popularity stuff and the celebrity games, they're coming to an end. The days where we can financially motivate ourselves and leverage our influence in the body in order to prosper ourselves, where we can champion ourselves with a Jesus-type language, where we can develop our own kingdoms and create ourselves as our own idols, all the while establishing with the mask or the guise of a Jesus-type reality. These days are behind us. Normal may not ever be coming back the way that you knew normal to be at one point. And so if you are sitting right now in neutral, waiting for normal, I encourage you, it's time to put it in gear. Because this is normal. Normal is a definition of an immediate type experience. And this is our experience. This is normal right now. So the hope of the resurrection of comfort and luxury, do you think that just because what was comfortable to us has been sifted from our lives, that God's purposes are on pause in this season? That he is somehow limited or minimized by the structure and the luxuries of America as a nation? There's a people rising. And they're ready to bear witness even to the point of the loss of their lives. Because once I understand that this world is not my home, this world is not my home. All of time is serving God's simple purpose. God desires a family. God has no needs, otherwise he would not be God. He is all-powerful, so he cannot have needs. But he does have desires. And he desires a family. He desired to share the fellowship that he has enjoyed as a divine community. For God in himself is family. <laughs> God in himself is family. He is a divine community. And what God does bears his image. <laughs> and I would encourage that the investment of all of our efforts be given over to the thing that God desires most. And that's the development of a family. Because all of time, all of time, from beginning until it climaxes, until the consummation of the age, until the end of the final days, when in a moment, with the twinkling of an eye and the sound of a trumpet and the lightning flash and the skies part, when the Son of Man comes riding on the clouds in the glory of his Father with a myriad and hosts of angels in order to bring salvation to creation and the created ones. This is what Romans declares. All of creation is longing right now and groaning because it realizes things are broken. They are not right. And the world in its brokenness is crying out, but it does not realize what it needs. And even creation itself is waiting for the moment when God wraps it all up and brings it into a perfect place of reconciled harmony as he originally desired. And from the beginning to the end, everything that God is desiring and doing in between is for the development of a people. All of time serves this simple purpose, the development of a bride an eternal companion for his son. So that in that moment when we are presented at the marriage supper of the lamb, there's a wedding that we're heading to with a father who loves his son and honors him with everything that he has. And by his own spirit has been perfecting a bride, a bride that Jesus thought was to die for, 
a bride that the son gave his life to have that he could live with in the place of eternity on the other side of our last breath, not even necessarily fathomable to us because of how immediate and time-governed our experience is. But all of time is serving the purpose of God's development of a people. This is God's point in time. And so while we have time, what is it that we do? We yield to God. And as we are filled with his spirit, we do what Jesus did. We preach the announcement of the gospel. The announcement of the gospel is not some self-help medication for humanity. The announcement of the gospel is not, hey, God loves you and has a great plan for you. He wants to give you the American dream if you would just give him your heart. The announcement of the gospel is not, hey, if you come to Jesus, he'll give you the girlfriend you always wanted. He'll give you the raise that you've been looking for. He'll give you the house with the white picket fence and the little dog that every reality show has. This is not the announcement of the gospel. The announcement of the gospel is the king is coming again. The announcement of the gospel is the king is coming again. And while we have time, we ready our hearts. While we have time, we ready our homes. While we have time, we announce it to our cities that there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess because the king is going to return the way that he said he would. And in the day that he returns, he's coming with his rewards and he's coming with his judgments. And both will be held in perfect, beautiful tension. But the king is coming back, which means we don't preach to get famous. We preach because the king is coming back. We don't labor faithfully in the church because we want to be the biggest one in our state. We labor faithfully to the development of a people and a family because the king is actually coming back. And while there is time, while there is time, we have time to give our attention and our effort to the thing that God desires, which is a family, which is a family. But while we have time in the earth, we announce the gospel, we heal the sick. We cast out devils. We raise the dead because we have all authority because our king rules right now. But right now he rules heart to heart and he has established his kingdom by his spirit and he's alive in us and he rules over us and we are ambassadors of that kingdom. And so as a heavenly embassy planted in America, it is an imperative that in these days, and they don't necessarily have to be the last days, meaning everybody in the world is a home because I can't guarantee you that that's what's happening. But what I can guarantee you is that these are your last days. And while these are your last days, we yield to his spirit. While these are our last days, we announce the gospel. Because the announcement of the gospel is the readying of the nations for the return of the king. He said, until this gospel is preached to all of creation, I will not return. We announce the gospel because the king is coming back. We heal the sick because it's kingdom against kingdom. It's light against darkness. We cast out devils because our king rules and we bear witness and provide evidence of the power of the age to come. We are a people that are a new creation. Again, we're not the same as every other human because God's on the inside and he's preparing us now to rule forever with him then. So we preach the gospel, we heal the sick, we raise the dead, and we cast out devils because our king rules. And Peter and John were willing to pay a severe price for what it was that God was doing in them. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I want to ask you, are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. Those aren't my words. I don't really like the way they sound either. But are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of what God has done in your life? Are you simply just trying to sprinkle a little Jesus into the different compartments and categories of your life where you would prefer to be blessed? But are you seeking to avoid a full place of surrender because of the disruption that it may bring to the energy and the investment 
of all of your dreams and all of your ambitions? Or have you lost all of your dreams and the American dream in the person of Jesus? Because in the glimpse that you've seen, you realize that he's become the dream. And he's what we're living for. And his life and us living faithfully as witnesses for him is the reason that we are alive. God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I had a plan for you. I had a purpose for you. There were things that I dreamed up that involved you. In fact, it was my dream of you that brought you into the experience of what you know to be as life. Before I formed you in the womb, that means your life wasn't formed by circumstances. That means your life just wasn't a byproduct of whatever the variables were that you might look back to in your own history and think, well, this is why or this was the way. Before there was ever a why or a way that was circumstance, there was a dream that God had and it was of you and it involved you and it was for such a time as this. And God strategically planted your life in this generation so that you could be a faithful witness and labor well for him while there is still time in the day to work for what it is that he ultimately desires. And I would ask you, has yielding to the Spirit become disruptive to things that you had going on? <laughs> you see, because for some of us, we would rather Jesus just become a part of our dream and endorse what we're doing rather than us completely surrendering our rights, forfeiting on the front side all of our entitlements. Because if any man would come, that's any man. Great, small, young, old, any man. Asian, Ethiopian, African, South American, American, any man would come. Let him first deny himself. <laughs> and I believe that it requires our lives being filled with the Spirit in order to surrender to the Lord the way that he desires so that we can be faithful for him in the time that he has given us to be alive. And if there is any degree of resistance in our hearts when a statement like that is made we need to be filled afresh with the Holy Ghost because being filled is not only an initial experience because you can speak in tongues and not surrender <laughs> you can chant and sing and dance and roll and spit and rabbi and shandai and be more filled with yourself than you are filled of God. And these are days when we just don't need the imagery of Christianity or even the Ringling Brothers Circus of Charismania. We need a faithful people that are actually a new creation, that bear his image, that are conformed to his likeness, that carry his glory, that are faithful whether by life or by death because this will be the catalyst in our nation for a revival and a great awakening when the church finally wakes up and realizes there's something worth living for. And it's a person. I'm just going to ask you to stand up with me all over the room. There's something worth living for. And it's a person. It's not a political affiliation. It's not a social justice cause. It's not the championing of an activist group. It's not the rallying alongside of the loudest or the most influential or the most powerful sounding or authoritative looking voice. But it's a king. It's a king. And God has given us everything that we need to succeed for the call that he has put on our lives. Ephesians 4.1 says, walk worthy of the call with which you have been called. God has put his spirit on the inside of us. You are alive from the dead. The gospel is not, well, I was a bad person and now Jesus made me good. The gospel is at one point you were dead in your trespasses. 
But because of the loving kindness and the tender mercy of a king, he drew near through the blood of Jesus and he brought the announcement of peace and an offering of reconciliation to you. And now his spirit is alive on the inside of us and we are no longer what we used to be. But we are now alive from the dead. And right now, whether by life or by death, I will give him glory with my life. Is that what burns in your heart? John the Baptist lost his life because he wouldn't compromise in a moment where the heat and the pressure came on him because of what God was doing. Peter and John brought disruption out in the streets because of what God was doing in them and through them. Are you willing to pay a price to live faithfully as a witness for Jesus in the days that he has given us? <laughs> if you've read the book, you understand things are only going to grow worse. Our version of persecution is laughable to the rest of the world. You do understand there are people right now that are being burned alive. There are people right now that are being executed publicly. There are people right now that lay their head down every night with fear running through their mind of people that are going to kick their door in and rape their wives and kill their kids. There are people right now that are suffering in great ways to gather in small pockets, twos and threes and fours and fives, all on different continents, where right now in our consideration of what persecution is as it falls on us as an American people, or better yet, as believers in America, it is laughable in consideration to the rest of the world or the global body as it may be. And so as we consider, are we ready to live as faithful witnesses? It is a question that all of us must answer individually. It's a corporate cry, but it's an individual response. And in the last days, there will be a people that rise who have forsaken themselves for the love of a king and who have partnered with a unified cry, come Lord Jesus. But while we have time, may we labor well until the king comes. It's not one or the other. We don't check out because we believe he's coming. All the more we dial in. We actually check in because the king is coming. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.